Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch Penninger and we're here to discuss the Tour Down Under, the well, wrap-up of the Tour Down Under, and look ahead to the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race. Um, unfortunately, uh, we recorded this podcast in a car beside the Cadell Evans um, the Criterium, the Race Melbourne Criterium before, this, before the Cadell Evans race, and the audio quality might be a bit iffy so bear with us um because the car apparently isn't you know optimum audio recording conditions okay bear with us and we'll be right back with our discussion of the tdu and cadell evans race with pat shaw okay so we are back and talking the tour down under we're not going to go through the results and the um, race itself because we presume that you've seen it um, if you're listening to this podcast you're a pretty diehard fan we'll, we'll assume so it was more to talking points from the race um i suppose the big talking point was the was was the dominance of port and ewan i mean obviously an, an incredible achievement for both of them to be going so well at this time of year and just dominating really um pat is that how you saw it yeah, I think equal parts. Uh, Richie was just, look, he was phenomenal. Something that really stood out for me that people probably go, oh, he was really climbing well. It was more his acceleration, his ability to change of pace. And in the past, that's sort of been his thing, even at the at the Grand Tour events. Like, he'll do his attack, and then he usually will wait and surge and do again, go again. And uh, But he didn't, hasn't had the punch in previous years like he had this year. That move on Wollonga, that acceleration that effectively split him off the front. It was as if he was coming off a treadmill or something, you know, a launch pad. Like it was, a, it was absolutely amazing. And to see in, in live footage that that move that he did, that's why those riders couldn't follow him. It's not, you know, they probably can hold pretty close to the same wattage, but that acceleration there, I think, broke their hearts as well. So he was super impressive. On Paracombe, I thought it was actually Wilco Kelderman that probably aided him a bit because he did a really quite a difficult pull and obviously Port was the only one that had any legs after that but very impressive by Richie Port and I hope that he can um, look if he can take that form plus five percent to the Tour de France then he's going to be very close uh, to winning I think so it's going to be very exciting I'm looking forward to staying up late all, all of July and about Caleb well it's it's one of those things that sometimes you just cannot do anything wrong and I think that's the sort of perfect storm he met in any situation in the in the Tour Down Under um, because his, his win in the People's Classic was probably pretty simple. You know, straightforward lead out. His guy, Kluger, was on the front, dropped him off, bang, he wins the sprint. No, that's acceptable. You expect that. But then really the rest of his victories, none were easy. Um, and he overcame really difficult scenarios, in particular into... Um, Victor Harbour. Victor Harbour. Yeah. Like, unbelievable. And the vision and, and reaction time when he moved across with the rider coming down the outside of the, of the group and he switched onto the wheel. And that's where Sagan, I think Sagan was sort of thought to himself, you tricked me there. That's not fair. Tomorrow I'm going to line up on your wheel and we're going to do this mano a mano. And he still beat him. And then you could see Sagan was like, yep. This guy's the real deal. Like you could see that Sagan was questioning uh, Caleb's, you know, by having he wasn't real happy the day before. I think he was almost like, "Oh yeah, you got me there, but I can get you." 
but he didn't get him all week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true enough. Um, I, I spoke to um, Sagan and Bonifacio after that Victor Harbour um, stage, and um, they, were, they were both kind of like, yeah, yeah, Caleb's going well at the moment, and he's a very good sprinter, but, you know, come Europe, more kilometres in the races, and we're, we'll be in better form, and it'll be different weather. Then we're gonna. Then we're gonna. Well, start Bonifacio certainly will be because he looks terrible. How he even finished the Tour Down Under? I did have him in my uh, Velo Games team, but reluctantly, uh, only because he fit that eight credits that I had left. But um, you could tell the way they looked at at Caleb after the finish, and you could tell it was it was well done. But there wasn't a lot of respect there. But there certainly is now, and. If they think they're going to come over him uh, any other time during the year, if he starts his sprint first, they're not going to come over him. Yeah, and uh, in particular, well, what will be important to him starting his sprint first is uh, the lead-out training working in it. It looks it looks promising so far. Roger Kluger's um, did a few very good lead-outs there. For some reason, in the last stage, he switched being like the third last guy um, on the sprint train, which was interesting, and they just had Impy for the final there with, with Ewan, so... Um, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in permanently when uh, Luca Mezget get, gets back to gets back uh, to joining up with Ewan. So yeah, but signs look positive there for that sprint train. Yeah, I think uh, that he switched because he did the intermediate lead out, and then was probably fatigued, so saved MP to do the other. But I think there's still issues with their lead out train, and when they dial that, they're going to be fantastic, especially like the use of Durbridge and House and those time trial guys to set up right at the front and then the lead-out train do its work, I think it'll be a lot better. But their camaraderie and, and the, the, the wealth of uh, appreciation for each other is definitely there. Like, Ewan made his lead-out train look as good as anything, really, more so than them making him look good at TDU. Um, and that's important, that some days your lead-out train is going to win in the races and other days he's going to have to be, you know, next level and pull one out of the hat. But when he wins, they all win. So they'll all be high on confidence and ready to continue to lead him out extremely well. Yeah. Um, the The next thing I want to talk about is the relative um, tediousness of the stages. I mean, in every stage, it came down to the final kick to the line, essentially. Um, on Paracombe and Bulunga, it was the final time up the hill which decided it, and the rest of the day's all sprints with without really a dangerous break at all during the during the whole race. Um, do, does there need to be some sort of change-up? Um, I've, I've just written an article which has uh, possibly suggested that um, more pro-conti teams should be invited to maybe give it a bit of that extra spice and give and you know put some teams in there who are going to race um, just because it is going to be one of their biggest races of the season rather than you know guys coming out with early season form in the World Tour teams who have other priorities like getting World Tour points for the um, to classics, for, yeah, for the car position yeah, for the classics, exactly. Um, or does there need to be some course change up? What do you? Well, I think this year's course was exciting, and I think it really got what it what the desired effect was. And well, was... I will say one of the things that definitely wasn't desired was that stage two, where um, where it looked incredibly hard. Those five uh, five laps of Sterling, and you you know exactly. Came afterwards. Yeah, and, yeah. and they just rolled around, you know, laughing. Well, yeah. yeah, I'd say they rolled around laughing, but I think that's just where they're at physically at this time of the year, and I think that's something to keep in mind that. You know, probably more so the teams that go to TDU than the teams that come to the Herald Sun Tour. They're there for preparation for the season ahead. And that's what's always excited me about the Herald Sun Tour is that you really, you're going to get some guys that are racing Herald Sun Tour that are just going crazy good for this time of the year. 
And uh, I mention it always to guys of continental level. In January, continental riders that are from Australia are world tour level. They can be world tour level because they've been able to prepare specifically for these summer events because these are the biggest events for our Australian local riders. Uh, and that gives them a huge head start. That's why these races are so important. And, you know, UniSA won the teens classification for the first time. So it sort of says, you know, great ride by them, but it also says where the other teams were at physically at this time of the year. Now, I think there was a big separation this year more than ever before, probably because of the parkour, knowing that Paracone was there, knowing Wollonga, uh, though it wasn't going to be a surprise rider. Okay, Nathan Haas probably pulled a little one out of the bag, but you and I both agreed pre-tour down under how fantastic he was looking and going. Um, but I think course change is not going to happen. Probably nothing's going to change because TDU is now more an event for people to go to and enjoy each other's company. It's a festival cycling. But it sounds funny, but the race is sort of a side event. Um, and for you and I and diehard cycling fans, it's really important. But for most people, the person that wins or the person that finishes 10th is not a, not a, a big issue. They just want to go to Birds of Tokyo and, and go into the village and things like that. And I think that's the special thing about TDU is that it is a grand event. It's a mini Tour de France spectacle, um, and they do well with that. So, yeah, you'd like to see it mixed up, but probably not in the near future is it going to happen. Yeah, I suppose that's fair enough. And they did, and that course, um, and the riders did create those special moments with, as as we were talking about before, Port going away and um, you know, really creating those headline um, pictures which can go on the back of the, the sports page, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that yeah. obviously Tour de France numbers, vision numbers will be up this year, uh, because there'll be a lot of new Port fans mm. because um, all the young kids that were there will remember Richie Port. He was the winner, and the kids are the ones that remember winners. The parents are there socialising. The kids, if they're watching the right, they'll remember that one person. They don't remember who's sixth. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's good for cycling as well. Yeah, well, I, sp- I suppose it's just a desire of mine to see more interesting racing. But um, as, as you said, I mean, it, it is more more than just the race um, down there at the Tour Down Under. Um, was there anything else that jumped out at you um, from from the well, from the racing or from the event from um, your in your view of it? There's a couple of things, probably nothing that's secret now, but I always knew Michael Storer was a very exceptional bike rider, mainly because that I'd done uh, uh, Cadell Evans road race twice before and he had participated. And I was just like, Who, who's this kid? Like, he looked chubby, he looked like he looked like basically was given a bike that morning and said, Oh, here's some kit, can you fill in for us? And he just had an amazing capacity. And I always I said to him after both editions, I remember, Martin was saying, look, mate, if you could get yourself like a biker or like an athlete, you will be amazing. Um, he's, he's quite a way there. Like, he's really quite slimmed down. He looks a lot better. Um, and we all know what he did at 2011 year last year. And, and, and he, he's, he is a really great rider, but it was good to see him do it on that level. Um, and I think he's done the right things. He's, he's gone up about three notches in the team's perspective. The bigger teams already have him on radar now. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think he's really got a big future. Um, outside of that, it was really good to see Nathan Earl um, take big advantage of the opportunity to ride for UniSA. He'll also do the, the Herald Sun Tour. And we were speaking earlier, he's probably a guy that could actually, you know, he could easily win up False Creek. 
and he could easily shake things up on the GC. So uh, that was really good. Um, and outside of that, obviously, you've got to give a, a very big tick to UniSA for winning the team's classification. Oh, yeah, they've got a they've got a great bunch of youngsters coming through the system there. I mean, it's probably one of our strongest under-23. Um, well, that, then again, I say that, but we've had, you know, Jack Haig, Rob Power coming out coming out of that um, setup recently. And but this this generation does look special with guys like uh, Michael Storer, as you mentioned, uh, Lucas Hamilton, Jai Hindley, all all those, and Callum Scottson, who was there as well. Didn't look as great, Callum Scottson, I'll admit, during the TDU, but he's a, he's got a massive motor, and he'll be he'll be one to watch for the future once he's developed a bit more as a cyclist. Yeah, I think he's probably on a pretty gradual process with his with BMC of approaching his development quite um, patiently and. Um, you do speak of a lot of those other great talents, Jack Haig and Rob Power, but you know what the problem is with a really great group of guys, there's going to be a percentage of those guys that don't make it, and they should have, and it always happens. And who they'll be, we don't know. And there'll be a surprise rider that makes it that they, that, that no one thought would make it. So um, whatever those riders do, it's important that they uh, enjoy this part where they're you know, really in the limelight. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly it's a great time to enjoy your cycling. I mean, they're getting opportunities that most people could only dream of, so you've got to take that in, in context and remember that when you're over there um, cycling in races like Lavnir and uh, the Italian Classics. I think they're doing Aosta this year as well. So they'll be be really interesting to follow, and I always enjoy watching those under-23s get, get some results over there because Australia's got a rich history now, um, built up over since the World Tour Academy has really come on the scene. They've, taking results, and I know you did, did those races uh, as a youngster yourself. So. Yeah, and also I think it bodes well for the guys that are here in the National Road Series as well, that they see that guys they potentially train with over summer or, or were racing juniors with and things like that, they've made it. I wasn't far off then. Maybe I've just got to adjust a few things. So, um, but you really do make a valid point. It is important that even those riders that are in the World Tour Academy or they did the Tour Down Under, that they breathe that in and, and enjoy the experience because next year they may not be there anymore, you know. So um, it is very important that they, they get the most out of it personally. Yeah, well, a rider like Sam Jenner wouldn't have been there this year if he hadn't won Nationals. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you've got to, you know, keep on proving yourself and it can be one of those things which disappears well thanks pat for talking tdu and you know digressing onto other subjects as well okay chatting cadells again with pat shaw um it's weird we're kind of recording this all together with a few other bits we're doing so we'll see how it all slots together probably over the course of a few podcasts Uh, but pat good to have you back it's good to be back again. We um, are trying to give everyone as much insight as we possibly can. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we are on to the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, which is still as much of a mouthful as it has been in the past, and <laughs> I'm going to certainly get annoyed with typing it over the next few days. But um, it's it's always produced some very good racing. I've, I've enjoyed the last few editions of it, and I suppose always is a bit too... A bit too early to say always because there's only been two editions of it, but um, it's, so far it's produced great racing and it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, first up, it's the women's event, which is 113 kilometres. Do a quick um, outline of the course, Pat, and you jump in there you know, and highlight certain stages. It goes um, out from Geelong towards uh, Barwon Heads there and 
that bit can be quite exposed um, just as you're heading out towards Barwon Heads there. And depending on what direction the wind's coming from, that can uh, be, a, be a place where there's, you know, brakes going or the peloton can decide to put it in the gutter as well. And I think we see that in the women's race in particular where the bigger teams try and shell out some of the dead wood, um, which is just kind of clinging to the back of the peloton. Yeah, not so much in the men's race though. Look, they're gonna the break will establish, but it won't, they won't just let it go because there's a a few of the smaller teams. Ruth Vallo will probably want to represent there, and and also probably um, Rompot. They'll probably want to put a guy in there as well, get some exposure. But but to get in the breakaway, you need to sit at about fifty five k's an hour. So you don't just get in there. So the guys that get in there will be going quite well. But they get in there so they can take the sprint jersey and co-in jersey. So a very important section of the race. The big teams, though, they'll just stay around each other because they're not too fast. No, and still plenty. Well, a very long way to go from there. Um, then it goes to Torquay, um, again along the coast, and then up the Bells Beach climb. Um, not too hard a climb, but depends how hard they've been going beforehand, I suppose, as to how difficult it'll be up that climb. Yeah, no, into there it's usually what they call a patajato, so it's just a, a bit of a pedestrian run for the peloton, although the brake will still be going full gas. By that point, you'd expect the brake to sort of be at that three minutes plus. Um, and and that, that's really important because, like you said before, it's an important race as World Tour points on offer, and uh, teams will want to be 100% for that circuit. Yep. Um, the run back to Geelong, it's just, it's lumpy, but it's not overly difficult, and I'd definitely put the um, favour in terms of the chasing peloton rather than rather than a breakaway. You know, m- making up more advantage on the on that sort of passage. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, there's certainly, a, yeah. yeah, there's no doubt about that, and that's because the guys that are chasing from behind have no um, desire to finish the race. They have one objective: that's to catch the riders in front. And the breakaway in the other aspect, we'll be thinking about the laps of Shalambra uh, climb and also doing those laps which are exposed, uh, especially along the uh, waterfront into Geelong. Mm. Yeah, for the women, there won't be those laps. They'll do the kind of back half of the of the circuit just um, just the one time. So they'll go up the Queens Park Road climb into Melville Avenue and then the Highland Road climb. Um, they're both short and both seriously, seriously steep in parts. Um, mm. And we've seen in the past that they're, you know, good points to launch. And we've had a uh, number of um, solo winners and, you know, small groups form, um, form to take to at which go all the way to the line. Um, will we see something similar again? I mean, for the women, it's just the one time up each of the climbs, so they're going to have to really go, you know, full gas up there. So. And in the men's, it's a bit different because you get brakes forming off the front. It was really interesting last year because there were a number of different moves going, some um, one move in between the um, the initial break, and it was just um, sort of moving chess pieces, which is what we what we like to see in these sort of races. Yeah, I think the course for the women is difficult enough to to get that desired result of a, a solo rider, but probably two or three will go to the line together. Um, and, and the thing about the women's race is that they get one opportunity. So if you're that rider and that's how you make your move to win, you only get that one chance. So you've got to really make the most of it. So I think that we'll still see it split, but maybe we see a rider we don't expect to win uh, because because it's just that one time. Sometimes riders that aren't usually good climbers can be good one day on that one ascent uh, and they might be a bit quicker on the line. In the men's race, you're so right. These breaks form, but then they form, and then they look around. Oh, I don't like you're a bit quicker than me. You climb better than me. Got a guy back there. There's all those games that get played, and that's what makes that 
um, Cadell Evans Ocean Ro- Ocean <laughs> Great Ocean Road race. It's such a brilliant event because, um, and we see that's why Italian races are so uh, interesting to watch as well. Circuit races, they they are good, um, but probably uh, with the start list that we look at, we'd probably see maybe a solo winner in that as well. I think. Well, yeah, it'll be easy. It'll be interesting, rather, to see how that race goes. Um, I suppose we'll jump into talking about it then. We'll do the women's first. Um, I think we can make this kind of simple. If it's a climber, I can't really look beyond Garfoot or Spratt for the win because, I mean, may, maybe maybe a name like Mullins. Um, what about Cromwell? Tiffany Cromwell? I don't know, know if he really count as a climber these days. She's a climber, sprinter. Uh, yeah, but it's not. No. the On the women's circuit, they're not climbs that you can get 10 seconds over. If, like, if you're in form, you're not going to lose any more than five or six seconds. Because I don't do Shalambra, which is like a three-minute, two-minute, fifty climb. Mm. The the Queen's um, ascent that's really short, and basically, if you've got good legs, even non-climbers can hold the wheel up there if you've got good legs. The the second climb that they do before that, the Highlands, I think it's called, isn't it? The, Highland Road. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's hard if it's if it's a headwind. If it's tailwind, the same thing. If you're non-climb a bit bigger, you'll get over that. So that's why I think someone. Can probably hold on. the The weight of numbers will be the big thing for Oregon because they'll have Garfield Spratt, and then they'll decide who's doing what. But it's it's almost becoming a rivalry between the two. Mm, well, I mean, we saw them sprinted out for the nationals win, obviously, and yeah. um, after the after the TD after Spratt's TDU um, stage that she won, and then continued on to win the overall there. She said, uh, well, it didn't really matter who was out front, but you could tell it probably did matter. <laughs> uh, it always matters, and yeah. I think it's an important thing. And you've got two people at different ends. Spratt's got so much time left, and Garfoot wants to make the most of this time where she's in peak and amazing condition. Um, I think Garfoot really wants a big 2017, but so does Spratt, and that's how Orica Scott managed that. Yeah, um, well, Spratt's saying she's felt the best in her career, and Garfoot is doing the same, and I think anyone who's watched them go um, race this year would have to agree with that. They've both been tremendous. Um, as Annemiek Van Vluten, I mean, you know, can't forget to mention her name when she's um, when she's racing. Obviously not in the same form as uh, Spratt and Garfoot. Peter Mullins does have a good kick on her if she can hold on, if she can hold on over those climbs, and maybe she's the name that you're talking about. Um, a rider who you know can and can and will do well in this course. Um, Janneke Ensing, obviously very good at the TDU. But um, I was listening to the excellent uh, cycling mole who we were talking about briefly earlier, Pat, and uh, he was doing a preview with Carly Taylor, and they said that if Spratt or Garfoot go, they're just going to sit on them and um, hope that Chloe Hosking um, has enough to get over those climbs and then sprint it out to the finish. And we've seen Chloe climb quite well. Um, but will she be? Will it be a tactic that works out? Do you think? If I was their director sportive, I would be saying follow them and look. Just keep it amicable at the front because they could have a chance. Like if I was uh, Taylor or even someone from another team, there was two or three of those from a separate team and two Oricas. There's a good chance, and you just say, "I'm going to roll the dot. I'm going to go, and you wait, and then you have a go." And okay, it's, you know, people call that collusion, but that's bike racing, um, and you want to try and up your chances. I think they've got a better chance of winning in that scenario than hoping that uh, that the sprinter will come back because I can't see Chloe Hosking being anywhere near it. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, she was kind of okay, I think, and she got over that that road stage, um, the third stage of the two. 
uh, TDU, obviously, to win, but that was raced very negatively, so I'd be surprised if we saw... Yeah, I just think that the thing is, I reckon Scott are guaranteed to want any scenario other than a, a sprint. Yeah, exactly. They'd even be happy for seven or eight to go to the line, but they don't want uh, Chloe Olsen there because they know they have no one that can beat her. Yeah, they don't have a sprinter, and no. they're the strongest team, so I don't think we're going to see a sprint, but we shall see. Um, now onto the men's, which is a lot more open affair, I think uh, I think we'll say. Um, Richie Port actually shows up here. I mean, he's never been great at the one-day races. I mean, he's done well in nationals in the past, but apart from that, he's not really a one-day specialist, and these climbs are probably a bit short for him. But... Um, yeah, he probably leads the climbers who we would expect here. Again, uh, Hanau's on the Hanau's on the circuit as well, and he was he was good last was it last two years. He's been good here. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's always uh, in form at this time of the year. Yeah, and there's you know plenty of other decent climbers here, but it really looks to be um, more those classic specialists that um, this race will play into the hands of. We've got names like Jay McCarthy, Paddy Bevan, your old teammate, uh, Nathan Haas, uh, Peter Vakoch, Simon Gerrans, of course. And Luke Durbridge, I think, did have a good race here. We'll see how he goes. Um, Chris, Chris Froome as well, obviously, from the climbers. And, you know, apart from that, Lee Howard, obviously, second last year. Uh, so there's some other names there as well, but, you know, just um, are we are we looking to one of those classic guys or more climber type, do you think? Um, oh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the teams want to ride it. You know, maybe there's riders that they want to give an opportunity that sacrificed it to a down under. Someone like uh, Alison that we spoke about earlier. Um, another rider that really quite interests me is uh, someone like Edward Turns. Like he could probably survive this course, and if he gets in a group that rolls on towards the end, he could win a, a sprint easily uh, because it's not going to be sprinting against proper sprinters. Uh, you mentioned Nathan Hass. He's obviously in very good form. Bram Biller, you know, these guys are the ones that come to mind. But you, you mentioned Richie Port, and there's no doubt that he's in emphatic form. But again, come back to that discussion, does he repay his teammates? I think Rowan Dennis and the Australian champion, uh, Scotson, they could easily do big moves two laps to go to try and put the, the, the pressure on other teams. And that's where we could really see a race that breaks up more than usual. Last year, I think there was about 50 riders, 60 riders go to the base last time. Uh, the year before, it was definitely a lot harder race because there was crosswinds before they entered the circuit. So if it's windy, which I, I predict already that it will be, I expect about 60 riders to hit the circuit initially. And then uh, I think we're going to have a really great race. But uh, my pick, you want to know my pick? Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Uh, my pick is Jay McCarthy. Well, I don't think you'd be far, too far off with that pick, um, certainly. Um, I, I haven't really thought about doing a pick yet. Um, be interesting. We haven't seen Lee Howard at all this year, and he'll want to go well at home. Obviously, second here last year, and he's the sort of rider who can do well, especially if it's a bit of a larger group coming into the finish. Yeah, we'll definitely need to be that bigger. We're not going to see that, I don't think, with uh, Port and those riders there, because if it comes down to the last ascent and there's a big grill, they're going to just throw the caution to the wind and have a go, so... Um, but you should mention him. He finished second last year. Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out and go for Luke Durbridge in this one. Uh, as you said, there's going to be riders who are getting paid back for a lot of the work they've done, and Luke Durbridge has certainly done a lot of that, and he's very strong at the moment. We saw he did the work of about four people in Nationals, oh, and he was, he was great at the TDU as well. So I think we give him a, a long... They'll give him a bit of a long leash and uh, say, you know, go with maybe 30Ks to go or something like that, See see what you can do. I want to mention my wild card. Okay, yeah, sure. Restrepo. 
Uh, oh, yeah, after his um, white jersey performance at the TBU. Yep, he is high on energy. To attack so he can run top 10 uh, in the last stage just to get the bonuses, and that, that's, he, he interests me, and I think that he'll be given a bit of a leash. So, um, isn't it rude of us? We didn't mention. Is, is Hessing doing it? He is doing it. Robert Hessing's doing the. the so, yeah. Oh, that's very so rude. Yeah. So he has to be uh, included as well. Yeah. But it, that's the thing. It's such a brilliant field that's came here this year. And um, I don't think we'll see uh, Hessing sprinting here at Race Melbourne today. But he definitely will be up there at the pointy end uh, come Sunday. Yeah, and there's a couple of um, ice away, well, com- kind of compatriots of yours. You're doing a bit of a job today for them in the team car. Uh, Cam Bailey and Scott Bowden uh, riding the uh, riding the race for the quarter Mentha real estate team, which is basically the same as the UniSA team, um, except with uh, Cam Bailey, Scott Bowden, and Alex Porter as well um, in that list. I mean, Alex Porter definitely deserves his chance after the Nationals campaign he took. And Cam Bailey as well, with fourth in Nationals. I mean, this is the sort of course which could suit him as well. We've seen him being aggressive in races um, in, like this in Asia, so there's no reason why he can't do well here. I would, I'd say the win might be a bit beyond him, but we'll, I don't know. What's your, what's your thinking there? It'll depend on what Cam Bailey wants to do, but both him and Bowden both have really good chances, depending on how they run the race. I think Bowden probably just needs to stick with his really good mates at Porter. You'll probably just stick around him at some point and uh, hope he can be close enough at the end, maybe a top 20. Um, he's growing with experience all the time. But Cam Bailey, I think, actually, back rather than waiting, he should make a move with a lap to go and hopefully get in a group that underestimate him. He gets over the top and he could be sprinting for a podium. Yeah. Um, but that's the scenario that he sort of should really roll the dice with, I reckon. Yeah, that's that's the great thing about this race. I mean, there's so many scenarios that you can spin to say, oh, well, this is how that rider will win. Yeah. Um, but then it comes down to the interplay of the team tactics and um, and how everything goes. So and I think that's the most exciting thing about cycling and why it continues to grow in a spectacle on TV because um, although a lot of people at home don't understand the whole that side of it, they are catching up bit by bit. They realize, oh, yes, that rider, I've seen him win this way a lot of times. So, and these riders will play their cards. They didn't come here just to run 50th. So but if a rider can't win the sprint, they will try and win some other way. And that's what makes the racing so exciting these days, where in the past you used to have teams come to a race that one person they were riding for. Now teams come to races, they've got three options, you know, and that's the, what keeps the racing interesting for us, uh, even as the diehard fans. <laughs> Yeah, and um, that was that was largely what I was talking about with the TDE discussion we were having about the um, you know level of interest in the race. So uh, yeah, we're about to get started here actually in uh, in Melbourne for the race Melbourne. So we'll leave you we'll leave you um, with that analysis of the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, and we'll catch you around. Cheers, Pat, for joining us. See you on the KOM. Hey guys, I know we just said goodbye, but I'm going to try a little experiment here. Um, I'm going to append a few interviews from the Race Melbourne Criterium onto the back end of this podcast and just see if you like it. Um, it'll be with the winner of the men's race, Sam Bennett, who won in the end fairly easily in the sprint. Also an interview with Kirsten uh, Build, who won by centimetres from Chloe Hosking. So, yeah, see if you enjoy this. Okay, bye. Win that one. That was well, it's a, yeah, it's a cool one. I, uh, Chloe was coming really fast from the back, and I was like, 
yeah, it was really exciting and I pushed my wheel to the front and yeah, I was hoping for the photo finish and uh, it turned out to be it was me. <laughs> it looked like the look on both of your faces, you weren't quite sure. Yeah, we directly looked at each other like, is it you, is it me? And we both didn't know. And the throw was enough. The throw probably won you the race. Yeah, I think so. I've been uh, practicing it for a few years ago, <laughs> and uh, yeah, today it worked. Yeah. So, so you've got to say you're um, pretty well dialed with your sprint train now. You've had the Santos yeah. Women's Tour to get used to it, practice it. Um, yeah, yeah, we get really good. Um, we have good communication in the race, and uh, it really works. With uh, Danny King, Marta Tagliaferro, they're really good in the final. The other girls are really important in the race. And then uh, we tried to put Raquel in, the, in, my, in my back wheel. So yeah, it really works so far. Do you give yourself a chance for Saturday, or is the core, you know, does the course suit you? Or what do you, bit oh, yeah. to, bit to that, that hill Chalambra might? I don't know the names, but we did the course last week. And um, I think, yeah, the first part fits me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's all about the final, and uh, the final is quite hard. Mm. And I think with Danny King, we have, uh, yeah. and uh, Jasinska, we have a really good uh, options with those two girls, and I think, if it stays together, I try to be there, but it's a really hard final, so yeah. it's not not um, per se my and, course. And all the all-rounders will be trying to get rid of you, because we know what your form is if it come to, comes down to a sprint. If I was the others, I would try to, but then yeah. we have Danny and uh, Jasinska, yes. so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No good, problem. Good signs for Europe, obviously, you know, for the for the main season, you must be yeah, feeling the, the team must be it's, great. It's also nice, we are, we are quite a new group here, yeah. a new team, and... Um, yeah, it's cool to see that we work so good together and that it really works. And I think for the season we will have some really nice uh, results yeah. and cards. Yep. Kirsten, for this race here, being the pancake flat circuit that it is, were you always sure it was going to come back for a sprint? It was always going to be controlled? Well, I felt it was like a headwind into the last three mm. kilometres, so that makes it really hard to, to stay away if you have a mm. breakaway. Um, and also there were some other teams interested in the sprint and that makes mm. it for us a bit more yeah. easy because you can also count on the wiggle. Uh, Alec Cipollini wanted to sprint and you can also feel it. Orica was making speed, so it was not only the pressure for us, but we shared the work and then you feel like, okay, it's not going to work. And it's been you and Chloe Hosking won to um, pretty yeah. much the entire Australian summer. How, how has that been, that battle between the two of you? <laughs> yeah, we are battling already for a few years and uh, she's a really strong competitor and it's, it's really hard to... If she's in my wheel, she's a really dangerous rider. And um, yeah, that's what I try to avoid, but she's really good. So, yeah. And can you talk us through how it has been coming out here, like World Championships was like, did you get much of a break or, and how have you maintained your form? Because it, you, obviously, uh, you obviously have. Yeah. <laughs> well, after Worlds, uh, I did the same week I did European on the track and I did some uh, World Cups on the track, mm -hmm. but I had a little of a break and I went to South Africa with the national team. Mm -hmm. That felt also like a break, but it was a training camp, but with the good weather, like here, for me that feels like, yeah, I am enjoying mm -hmm. so much. So. Mm -hmm. Like like this week's, we do some races. We have a lot of fun together mm -hmm. with the team, and yeah, for me that feels like I don't know, like holiday, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, you've kept your momentum rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like what I'm doing, and for me, it's not a it doesn't take lot lots of energy to go training with the nice weather with nice people. So, what's your next main objective, Kirsten? What's the the first big European yeah. goal? Well, it's not really European, it's Asian. No. <laughs> I'm uh, focusing on the World Championship on the track ah. in uh, April. But, of course, also the, the Spring Classics yeah. are really important. So yeah. what, what what events are you focusing on on the track? For on the track, I yeah, all the endurance events. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the pursuit? And not no, not the pursuit, yeah. but yeah. everything else. Do you like okay. the Omnium changes that have been made? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, for me, personal, 
I think it doesn't matter so much. Yeah, I'm really struggling with the 500 meters, so I'm happy it's out. But then they also take out the three kilometer and the flying lap, which were two strong points for me. So I lose one really bad and lose also two good points. But I think with all the peloton, how you say peloton races, I think the races are more open. So it's it's interesting, I think. Okay. Can I just um, ask one last question, just perspective on coming out to Australia, summer season of racing, now with Qatar gone. I mean, what's your view of coming out here? It's the first time you've done it? Yeah. Yeah. What's the experience been? Yeah, so far I really enjoy it. I'm away for like almost four weeks from home and normally 10 days is the max. <laughs> but yeah, so far I'm really enjoying it and we have a really nice team. The girls are amazing. Uh, the staff is really good. We have a really good atmosphere. So yeah, that makes it much easier. Is it some, something you'd like to do again? And is it the Australian season? I mean, would, would you be happy if well, it progressed? Would um, you be happy if uh, we had World Tour level races? Out yeah, of course. But for, um, when we made a program before, it was more because of Qatar, and we would go to Australia to prepare for the races in Qatar. But since Qatar wasn't, uh, isn't anymore, so then, uh, yeah, I try to focus a bit more on these races. And we have like a good training camp here, so it's perfect. Yeah, does it make it a bit hard for it to be come uh, st the start of the season without? Yeah, there's almost a month without proper like high-level racing now. Um, well, does that make it difficult for it to become the start of the season? You mean after this? Yeah. Yeah, but I will do some races with the men. Like it's more like local races, but it's for me it's really hard because it's with the men, so that's level enough. And um, I'm I'm not so struggling without uh, to have a good shape without racing. So I'm fine without. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Congratulations, how do you feel? Um, I'm, I'm extremely happy uh, to get the first win of the season. It's is really nice and takes a little bit of pressure off. And uh, I'd like to thank Ralph and Bora Hansgrohe for setting up a great race program and uh, supporting us here. And also to my teammates who supported me all day. Uh, they did a fantastic job and uh, they got me out of trouble even in the last uh, three corners. Uh, I kind of lost the wheel and they still managed to get me in a great position. And yeah, um, it was a great day. <laughs> what was your mindset like going in? Because you were you're so, I guess your form was so encouraging in Adelaide, but you hadn't got the, the chocolates, as it were. W was that an element of frustration, that, or you always knew the form was there, you just needed a bit of luck? Um, I think the results last year was just uh, the strong team behind me, um, because I didn't feel good. But when you have the world champion leading you out, and you have the other teammates, and they can deliver you so quick, mm it makes it a lot easier um, and then today again they did a fantastic job um, I think we came in with a yeah we're pretty happy with last week and um, we came in here a little bit relaxed um, obviously we, we want to win and uh, yeah it just all clicked today and we had a little bit of luck on our side Caleb's been pretty much unbeatable um, was the plan to I don't think it was for you guys but to, obviously the race being as hard as possible worked in your favour Oregon yeah. had to do a lot of work to keep those brakes in check yeah we, we came in here and we we just kind of came in relaxed and we just let the race happen we didn't try to take control or force it and uh, if it came back to a sprint we were going to try and do something but otherwise we were just going to just be relaxed and uh, I think on Caleb's side he was just a little bit unlucky uh, you see how fast he is he's incredibly fast and uh, I don't know if I'd uh, have won today if he was uh, on top four. And those final few kilometres, he came down the boards there at the end. Um, what was the strategy going in? Or was it just find the gap? Um, just try and hold Rudy's wheel for me. That's all I had to try and do. Um, and uh, let him take responsibility. 
and uh, I had uh, Pascal with, uh, Anchorman with, with us and uh, he uh, he was there to get me uh, out of trouble so um, yeah they, they, they did a fantastic job all the team did a fantastic job they were with me all day and uh, yeah I'd like to really thank them. Is today basically the result of a lot of form that you've built over the last week? Um, you, you, were, yeah. you, were, you were thereabouts all the time in Adelaide with the sprint finishes? Yeah, I think so. Like, I found it, like, coming to the end of the week last week, I was getting it pretty hard. Um, and then the last few days, I was a little bit tired. Even today, still a little bit. Um, but I think it really uh, kick-starts uh, the engine for the season. <laughs> Is it Was the key then getting rid of that bloke Sargon and just, you know, having a clean run? <laughs> not, having, not having to worry about that, you know, that, no. that, 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 that millstone, that sort of the Slovakian guy is sort of slowing you down the whole time? No, no, Peter's, Peter's a great guy and uh, you saw he gave me fantastic opportunities and uh, I'd like to thank him for that. Uh, and also, I tried my best to give back to him, but uh, mm. I just at the end of the week, I was I was finished, and yeah. I was trying to help. Uh, I was trying to help uh, Jay as well as Pete. And uh, at the end of the day, I just I just didn't have it to give Pete everything, and uh, I would have liked to be able to give him more. Yeah. What's your goals? What's what's next for you now? We have uh, Cadet Evans, um, and I'd really like to do a result there. Um, but I'll just take it one step at a time. Mm. Have you been over the course with those th that finishing circuit? Um, a little bit, not yeah. too, too can you, much. Can you sort of, uh, how do you go over, over <laughs> something like Chalambra? I don't know, I, don't hope, I hope I don't uh, attack out the back. Uh, <laughs> but no, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I hope, I think I, I just need to freshen up now at the weekend. The only thing I can do is, is overcook myself. Um, so I'm better off just backing off the next few days and trying to come in fresh. And what, is your main, what are your main goals this year, Sam? Um, well, I have um, Paranese and De Giro, um, and they're my first goals. Um, I'm going to try and uh, be on top shape for them. Very good. Cool. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Cheers, Matt.